You are listening to the Marketing Rescue Podcast, the weekly show where we take a look at some epic marketing failures, along with some pretty amazing brand rescues and comebacks. And now your hosts, Nico and Chad. Hey, Chad. Yeah. When was the first photograph taken? Ooh, that's a really good question. I'm not up on my 1800s history very much. So you peaked. How do you know it's 1800s? <laughs> I'm guessing somewhere around 1860. Yeah, it's actually pretty close. It was it was in 1826. Ah, okay. Yeah. Well, at least that's the oldest surviving photograph that we know of. Oh, okay. There might be older ones that we just don't have proof anymore. But it was taken by Joseph Nieps. In 1826, at his estate in Burgundy, and it's a picture of his upstairs balcony looking out, and it was a technique called holography. Mm. So basically, there's no negatives. It's just like a one-shot wonder, and it's currently hanging at the University of Texas, Austin. Ah, that's cool. Yeah. Hey, do you know what I just realized? As we sat down here, I like opened my calendar and I looked back. The last time that you and I recorded together was here, where we're sitting right now. And it was on, obviously, Friday the 13th in March. And that is as I was starting to get sick. Remember, we were like, uh, just started yes. having it, like little sniffles. Yeah. And now in retrospect, look back, I had COVID. But isn't it crazy? Like the last time we sat here, how much has changed in the last three months? <laughs> <laughs> we just think back of like the last 90 days. It's a whole different world. Little did we know. It's, like, it's crazy, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, how are you guys doing? We're good. We're good. I think we're, I don't know how we're doing actually. I think we're good. I mean, the numbers are starting to rise again right now, and which is creating a little bit of anxiety. Yes. So I, I don't know where we're going to go, but my car has batteries. That's That's good. I completely ran down my car battery because... You didn't drive it? Yeah. I thought once every three weeks would be enough. Turns out it wasn't enough. Yeah. <laughs> so that was always fun to deal battery with. Battery tenders and just leave it plugged in. Yep. But yes, a lot has changed in the last 90 days. It's, geez, it's crazy. But, you know, we're surviving. We're still producing podcasts. <laughs> yes. Our creative outlets away from the corporate world. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so let's get started today. Today, we're actually going to have a really cool, uplifting story because, you know, Jewel, Purdue, we've had a, we've, <laughs> we've had a few little COVID-19 themed pandemic type episodes. Yes. So today's a pretty cool one. It's about Polaroid. And it's actually a story that I didn't know before we started looking into it. I mean, I know Polaroid. I know the brand. But actually, I was under the impression that they were on the decline. I didn't know they actually had a huge comeback. Yeah, it's really interesting to see what their kind of roller coaster like trajectory has been and where they are now. Yeah. So, scientist Edwin Land invented photography or instant photography, should I rather say, in 1944. Land was an investor. He had over 500 patents to his name and he invented the first synthetic sheet polarizer, a device that reduces glare from sunlight, as we know today as like basically sunglasses, right? in 1928. And that's actually a claim to fame. Polaroid invented the first sunglasses as we know today, not the first photography, which is also interesting. So him and his partner, George Wheelwright, figured out a way to make it commercially and sold it to the familiar name Eastman Kodak Company mm. as the Polaroid Polarizing Light Filter in 
1934. So that was the birth of sunglasses, we know it, but also so the birth of light filters within cameras. Wow, that's that's really interesting. So how did he invent instant photography then? Well, as he tells it, his daughter complained, we do everything for our daughters, don't we? His daughter <laughs> complained not to be able to see the pictures that they have taken right now. And he claimed that within an hour, he visualized the camera, the film, and the chemistry that could make it possible. It took him three years to make it happen, but in 1947, the Polaroid Corporation was formed. And just put that in context, that's during like the war era, right? So it was a very, very difficult time to start up a new company. Yeah, that's amazing. He's such an accomplished inventor. And throughout the 60s and 70s, Polaroid was basically just synonymous with instant photography. Not only did they create the category, but they owned it. They had a total monopoly on that instant photography market, and they were a huge player just overall in the photography landscape. So they accounted for about 20% of the global film market and 15% of the U.S. camera market. So that's not just like only instant cameras, what you think of as Polaroids, but that's like everything, 15% of all cameras in the U.S. market. So Land ran the company until 1981, and at its peak, Polaroid had 21,000 employees and about $3 billion in annual revenue. Sure, and then 81, that was Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they were doing very, very well. But then a little thing happened called digital. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, with the advent of cell phones, the writing was on the wall for film photography, And maybe even more surprising than the actual death of this once loved photography technology is actually its rapid return that it's making a comeback. So before we get there, of course, we all know there was a big fall with Polaroid and they really dropped off the radar. To understand Polaroid, it's actually important to understand a bit about the history of photography as a whole, because they were the pioneers in the space. Yeah. So we think of photography today as primarily an artistic form or an outlet. We all have cameras in our pockets and we're artistic with our filters and the angles we take with our children. But when it was first invented, photography was actually a chemistry innovation. The ability to treat paper with silver nitrate that reacted to light exposure and then created a process for capturing light in the way that had never been done before. So it wasn't really anything to do with photography back then. It was actually a pure chemistry invention. This was science stuff, this right? Was, this was science <laughs> stuff. Yeah, this definitely was. Ways to keep the chemistry stable, going from wet plate photography to a large film format photography, and then finally from black and white film to color, these were all chemistry inventions. And the Polaroid Corporation was a company founded in just this, innovation chemistry. And that is, I think, to me, pretty innovative when you think about not only taking all of that darkroom technology and kind of creating all of that chemistry, but then being able to scale it down into this handheld device. Yeah, it's huge, right? Yeah, that could have that chemical reaction. In a little piece of paper. Yes. like you could take to the beach. For the first time, you can just like, not only were the chemistry different, they also reinvented the actual device. Prior to this, sort of this huge block that they were carrying around, right? With a <laughs> right. curtain over your neck. And yes. it's just a very different experience. Yeah, which kind of, to me, is almost like a pattern for what we see later in the future with smartphones, everything getting smaller, getting more mobile. They really kind of like pioneered that whole 
innovation cycle. Yeah. And the people at Polaroid weren't fools. They had a massive market research group and they knew yep. that the market was changing, but they simply couldn't imagine how completely digital photography would replace the chemistry of film photography and physical photos. I mean, we don't have, now it's like a novelty, right? It was just our 10 year anniversary, my wife Megan and I, and I gave her like a big printout of like a canvas photograph of us, you know, when nice. we were somewhere. Yeah. So that's, it's becoming now a novelty versus the way that it was. Yeah, well, and with such faith in their technology, I mean, they were making money hand over fist and the approach that they had taken for many years, that kind of scientific approach, was very effective. And it went all the way back to the founder, Edwin Land. Polaroid believed they would always be able to stay ahead because of their capability in photographic chemistry. That was the thing that really set them apart and gave them their competitive advantage for years and years. And so they started out as this kind of scientific innovation company, but that kind of created a blind spot, a bias against technology and a resistance to change in favor of what they knew and what they were comfortable with. And that was chemistry. Right. So a former Polaroid executive named Hugh McKenzie said, Polaroid fundamentally resisted the idea of making money on hardware. The culture of leadership was chemistry and media first. It had little respect for hardware. They had a considerable amount of fear from the chemical and film people about what would their job be if we got into electronics, which actually kind of like reminds me a little bit about what we have going on right now. There's a lot of people in the energy sector that are kind of going through the same thing. What happens if coal goes away? What happens if fossil fuels go away? Yes, there are all of these other renewable energy sources, but there's no training to shift the existing kind of coal workers into solar installers or, or whatever the case might be, right? And so there's this fear in the workforce of, oh no, what, what's going to happen to our jobs? Are we going to get replaced? Is that all going to go away? And in a sense, it was kind of like this massive success that Polaroid had actually becoming the cause of their failure because they were just so reliant on it. And think about it. They were so poised to go into like image compression as digital sort of taking off. They should have patented the JPEG compression or, <laughs> you know, like as we know today, but I think it was IBM that did that initially, but they just didn't go into digital, which is just crazy. Yeah. There wasn't really thought about how to bridge the gap between their kind of real world chemistry to digital and potentially even combine those two elements, you know, like we see they actually do later on. But the former Polaroid CEO, Gary T. DiCamillo, put it this way. We knew we needed to change the fan belt, but we couldn't stop the engine. Instant film was the core of the financial model of this company. It drove all the economics, not instant cameras and not hardware or any other product. It was instant film. An instant film had gross margins well in excess of 65%. So if you're dealing with a media change, how do you replace that with something that's almost or probably as profitable as instant film? Yeah, that's a good point, right? Yeah, I mean, a massive component of their business was consumables. It wasn't necessarily the cameras that made them the money. It was the paper, <laughs> the, the film, the film that was special and unique that customers needed in order to use the cameras. That was where the money was. So if 
digital comes in, how do you replace that revenue source? And so that was kind of this constant battle that they were facing. That's the thing that brought them down the first time as well. So Edward Land is quoted to say that the camera should go beyond amusement and record making to become a continuous partner of most human beings, a new eye and a new second moment. And he said this during the time where cameras were like massive, chunky things they were carrying around. So you know, we basically see that he was right. The cameras on our phone holds thousands of images, like we just said, and has much higher resolution than he could have imagined at the time. Yeah. But it's become exactly what he predicted. In doing this, it's basically killed the company that he started in 1947. Yeah. So the once dominant household name started to falter throughout the 90s Polaroids fought to stay afloat. In 2001, they faced declining sales and the inability to respond to the challenges of digital photography, Polaroid declared bankruptcy for the first time. And I say the first time because they had a really rocky ride, yeah. <laughs> you know, past 2001. The company sold most of its brands and most of its assets. A new Polaroid company was founded, but without the clear intention or mission, the company basically languished to watch the brand's path in the early 2000s is like basically going through a list of bank names because they were like passed around <laughs> like a hot potato from bank oh, to bank and they never really settled anywhere. Then in 2008, the Polaroid instant camera, once the absolute symbol of creativity in the moment and capturing special memories just officially died. So the revamped Polaroid company once again declared bankruptcy in 2008 with another sale of assets and Polaroid officially stopped manufacturing instant cameras and instant film. Man, that's a sad day if you think about the <laughs> run they had, right? Yeah, I mean, the amazing peak that they had, the influence that they had on culture and just human history in general, the ability to document things the way that, that Polaroid gave people the, the opportunity to, to document things and also driving art. Andy Warhol, for example, was a huge user of these Polaroid instant cameras. Yeah. He snapped thousands and thousands of these instant photos. So you really just see Polaroid's influence throughout pop culture, throughout business and technology culture. A lot of the packaging design elements that they pioneered have kind of gone down in history as some of the best influencing companies like Apple. It's just crazy to see. So Scott Hardy was the president and CEO of Polaroid from 2009 to 2018 and joined the company all the way back in 2004. And he recalls those days of struggle and how from 2005 to 2009, the company went through six CEOs. Wow. So that's a four-year period, six CEOs. And in an interview in Fast Company in 2014, Hardy described the company's identity crisis and says, the corporation went on a, quote, journey of self-discovery. <laughs> I think certainly any company that's going through that much turnover at your top position is going to have to do a little bit of inward inflection to figure out what's going on. Yeah, so think about it this way. During this time, we talked about banks stepping in, hedge funds stepping in. But not once did we say they were acquired. They had a lot of technology, a lot of patents, a lot of innovation yeah. up until this point, but nobody were interested. It just shows you how <laughs> bad things really were with them. Yeah, which is so crazy because they have such a strong brand equity. When yeah, people think huge. of the brand, it's it's always positive things, right? Yeah. You know, they've never been this scandal-ridden company. 
They've always had kind of this really strong connection with their core consumers. And so just financially, things were just in such bad shape. Nobody wanted to touch them and they just didn't really have any options. But there was this group of super fans, people who loved Polaroid because of just the very unique artistic nature of Polaroid. Polaroid did something that's so unique in time. It's kind of like I think about like record players, right? There's no way to truly replicate the sound of a record player. So we have MP3s, we've got all of our digital devices and amazing home theater capabilities, but there's just no way to really truly replicate the sound of an actual live yeah. vinyl. It even just made me think of, we should do an episode on the Ford Motor Company, because people think of that as this major successful company, but they had some dodgy moments through the history. <laughs> and that's the same thing. It's like a motor car, or it's a photography device, or it's a record player. It's these major innovation milestones that sent us in a trajectory to where we are today. Yes. And because of that completely unique style, look, and capability that you can only get through a chemistry-developed photograph, and specifically Polaroid, there were these super fans who saw what was going on and they wanted to still be able to take these pictures and use their Polaroid cameras, but they knew that Polaroid was going under. And so they actually intervened to buy the company's last remaining instant film factory in the Netherlands because it was just going to completely go away and it'd be impossible to get Polaroid film. It's amazing. Yeah. So they start this company of their own with the intention of producing new instant films for existing Polaroid cameras and just simply to keep the art form alive. Yeah, it's like for a non-profit organization. They weren't in this <laughs> yeah. to make money. They just wanted yeah. to be able to have access to film. Right. Yeah, exactly. So they called this company The Impossible Project. Very, very <laughs> relevant. Yeah, good apt name for sure. Yeah, so now we have two entities. Think about it. We've got the Polaroid Corporation having sold much of its assets and struggling to find its true identity, so to speak. And we've got the fledging company, which is called The Impossible Project. They're trying to keep the expression alive and keep this chemistry in the market so that they and other people can use it. I cannot think of any other instance where this has happened, where fans buy and create a company to keep a dying company alive. That just shows you the brand equity yeah. they had within the art form, right? It's totally. I think people associate the art form of taking these retro type photographs with the brand, and that's what made them so strong. Yes. So in 2010, Polaroid set out to identify new product categories that they felt embodied the essence of the brand. So Scott Hardy said that the company would apply three core traits, visualization, sharing, and affordability. Which, when I read that, I thought was super broad. <laughs> it, feels <laughs> it could like, be like a lot of things. It could be anything. Yeah. yeah, because it feels to me like visualization is true with what they were previously. Sharing was weaved in there because digital. And do those things layer? So like, does, does yeah. it have to be something that's, you can visualize, Do they need you to can hit share, all three. and it's yeah. right. Is it all three or is know. it either or? We couldn't find it. We couldn't find anything about it. So to any opportunity to help guide these decisions as they attempt to add capabilities that would add to their core business. So 
as they lean into the strength of their brand to find the way forward, it's almost antithetical to how they bring a brand back around. You know, most companies, if you think about it, they would find the next breakthrough or product and then put that underneath mm. their brand. Where Polaroid's approach here is how do we see everything through the lens of our existing brand and then find the road to recovery by staying true to who we are. So that's like a different approach that they had. And we can now say that it was luck, but I think a lot of research went into this to really understand what the brand equity is and how to try to find themselves again. Yeah, they really had to get back to their roots. But this also led to a lot of exploration in order to kind of figure out what was really truly right for them. So they expanded into tablets, TVs, other digital media. And when the time was right, the company revisited instant photography, creating cameras like the Polaroid PIC 300 and presented it to a new younger audience. And so here's kind of like what you're saying, like you could say that it's maybe a little bit luck. Part of it was timing, right? They needed time for this kind of retro sentimentality to come back around and a little bit of backlash from Instagram culture. There's a lot of people who don't like the, the fakeness of Instagram and Polaroids. There's no fakeness about it. It's just real and it's physical and it's in the moment. You can't add digital smoke and mirrors and retouching. And so there's just something so authentic and pure about it. I know, but you know, looking at their site today, there's like all the old cameras all dated back from their first one. They're still selling their first camera. And then it's like a timeline. We can go back to 2020, the new modern cameras. They all still, there's instant photography and then they sell the different films that go with them. So they're still true to that brand. Yes. And then in the main navigation, hidden away, two clicks away, there's a little more button. (laughs) And the more button is the other products they sell. And it's flat screen televisions, it's 3D printers, it is headphones, Mm. it is Bluetooth speakers. And it's just really interesting to me. I know they're trying to diversify under these three core traits that they have, but why don't they go into photography? Do they maybe feel that's going to take away from their brand infinity as it relates to instant photography? Because I would argue that they are poised to go into photography. Right. To really own it, right? Right. Because they've got such strong brand infinity from the past. So it's interesting to me that they are diversifying into product segments that's got nothing to do with photography. And I know, as we said earlier, it's got to be visual, it's got to be sharing and affordability, but that doesn't make me think of a Polaroid television. Right. The television's category is so crowded with people like Samsung and and other big brands that have been doing television for years. So I don't know, it's a very interesting approach that they are making Bluetooth speakers. And not going into, like leaning into photography, you know? Right. Yeah. Especially because really it seems that what Polaroid is all about is allowing you to make memories, to capture those memories that you're making instantly and share them instantly in a highly artistic form. But there has to be a really cunning current age slash digital way of scaling that. Absolutely, because that brand statement is something that's highly flexible. Like if they move into that space, I think a lot of people would pay attention. And when you launch something new, you want the attention. 
but they chose to make flat screen televisions. And Polaroid definitely knows how to grab attention. So let's listen to this clip about one of the methods that they used to grab attention back when they were relaunching Polaroid around 2010. And what he said is, you are a celebrity. So basically what's going to happen is there's product here. And this is where you end up right here. If you can communicate this product, you can make money off the product. Because look at Gaga. She's the creative director of Polaroid. I like some of the Gaga songs. What the f*** does she know about cameras? <laughs> crazy. Oh, man. Well, that's Kanye kind of doing what he does best, which is talking and not really <laughs> understanding the subject matter <laughs> very well. is he running for president or something? <laughs> oh, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Lady Gaga. I mean, it just shows you they're they're obviously prepared to innovate and they're prepared to be with the current times. They're just doing it in a very interesting way. I'm not saying it's wrong. It's just that it wouldn't have been my first guess if you asked me how were they innovating themselves. You know, now that they are back on top again, how did they do that? Well, and I think with Lady Gaga, it's such a great move because at this point in time, Lady Gaga was really kind of like at the peak of her career. She was considered an absolute innovator within the entertainment and creative industry and somebody who kind of bucks the system. Yeah. And that's perfect for Polaroid users, yeah. right? They don't care about Instagram. They're not taking pictures of their dinner plate and these crazy modeling pictures that are completely fake and processed. Her fans are all about like be who you are and authenticity. So it's a great move, but the way that it was leveraged, I just feel like was just underwhelming to your point. Like they could have done so much more with it with really leveraging into digital. I mean, one of the most digital focused things that they did with Lady Gaga is they created sunglasses that basically had little LCD screens in them. So instead of seeing through glasses, there's these little cameras and you see what's on the little yeah. LCD screens, which of course is going to go nowhere. What's the point of that? So what would you categorize them? They're not a chemistry company anymore. Are they now a technology company? I would think that they are a memories company or they right. are like an innovation photography company, but they're not. They've become a technology company. And to your point earlier about fossil fuel, if you think of like Exxon and BP, they see themselves currently as fossil fuel businesses. Right. They don't see themselves as an energy company, because if they did, they would be swooping up sustainable energy technologies. Right, right. And similar to Steve Jobs, he understood that Apple was a creative company. And, you know, I think he was quoted to say, connecting you with creativity and providing you with an outlet. But Tim Cook seems to see the company as a device company. Yeah. And that's kind of like what's happening here too. I struggle to put my finger on who they are. Right. Right now. Yeah. And so looking at the larger picture of how everything has kind of come together for Polaroid, I feel like in certain aspects, they've come back to their roots. And I think that's part of where the luck part is, is just culture had kind of gone off in this totally different direction with mobile phones and digital technology. And then they needed to kind of wait and bide their time until that came back around and Polaroid became retro and yeah. cool and in again. And a lot of companies can't survive that. Yeah. A lot of companies can't survive well, two bankruptcies, almost complete and total liquidation, and just getting by by selling your polarizers inside of 
flat screen TVs. Well, a lot of companies don't have the impossible project saints <laughs> stepping in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which speaks to the power of their brand. So if they could really figure out truly who they are and what they do versus how they do it. And I think they're going to be careful here. I think they are doing good and they're profitable, but now is the time yes. to not get in the same situation again where you've got to get bailed out 20 years from now and you don't know who you are. Because diversifying into Bluetooth headsets and televisions, I think goes away from the core brand. Right. Yeah. There's nothing you can really truly tie it into a central theme or purpose or mission or kind of brand Especially equity. Bluetooth speakers. That's not, I suppose that's the affordability aspect that they tapping into because it's got the Polaroid brand and yeah. you think, oh, that's quality and you're going to go and buy it. But I think it hurts the brand in the long run. Right. Which kind of answers our question about, is it all three or is it either or? And it sounds like it's either, either or, or. Yeah. When probably it would be a little bit better to go with all three and, and use all three of those filters as your selection criteria. But in this comeback to that point, it's not like they did this one thing that really brought them back. They did a bunch of little small things. They were very patient and they leveraged their brand to create buzz. That's one thing that they can do very, very well. So they reaffirmed their place as a creative partner, as a company that helps you create and capture beauty and wonder in the moment while they're kind of dabbling in these side projects. And the main steps they took did feel authentic to that understanding of the brand, at least as it related to the actual Polaroid cameras themselves what the Impossible Project maintained and kind of kept alive and, and helped bring back. They teamed up with people and brands that were working in spaces that felt right to Polaroid, felt authentic to Polaroid. They licensed products and technologies. In 2014, for a fast company profile, former CEO Hardy said, we find these companies that are experts at what they do in specific categories of products, and then we carefully oversee every step of the manufacturing process and product approval as if we're making it ourselves. So they're kind of taking this like partnership approach and product development guidance approach yeah. versus really owning every single product themselves. They're doing a lot of partnerships. Yeah, so in 2014 was when we saw this comeback started. Now we're six years past that, and are we starting to see TVs popping up and Bluetooth <laughs> headsets and everything else? So during this time then, 2014, in essence, Polaroid didn't really reinvent themselves to create their rebound, like to your point. They clarified who they were. They doubled down on their incredible brand equity and they waited until the market came back to save them, basically. And that's an incredibly difficult rebound because I don't think that was planned yeah. like that. Right. We're just telling the story the way that it unfolds, but I don't think necessarily they said, to, hey, we're going to look who we are and we're going to sit tight till somebody comes and rescues us. <laughs> yeah, we're just going to hold on for 30 years and see if we can just yeah. survive. That's super unique if you think about it. It would be wrong to say that it was all part of the strategy. The twists and turns throughout the early 90s to the early 2000s, including a rat nest of bankers taking them over, holding companies, yeah. poor choices, but never an acquisition. But through all of this, Polaroid's name endured. And to your point earlier, nobody has ever said anything bad about Polaroid. 
If you walk up to anybody right now and you say, what do you think of Polaroid? They might say, hey, it's a dying brand or are they still around? Or wow, my dad had a Polaroid. There's no negativity as it relates to Polaroid. And I think that's kind of like one of the things that endeared and gave them this rebound from the brink of collapse. In 2017, Polaroid teamed up with the Impossible Dream Project in the Netherlands, and the two companies merged. So the Impossible Dream was renamed Polaroid Originals, because remember, these were the guys that wanted to keep the film stock alive, basically. Yep. And they were focusing on the instant photography business, producing these instant cameras and films. And the Polaroid Corporation side business continued to explore other non-camera related businesses so it really wasn't just until just recently, no, recently. in 2017 yeah. that the camera business really came back together. Well, it's actually March in 2020, which is when I got COVID. <laughs> like <laughs> this is just, just 90 days ago. Yeah. After going through all these numerous transfers, renaming and bankruptcies, they recombined the company again and simply called it Polaroid. So this is like recent, recent, recent. Wow. That is amazing. So when we do this podcast 20 years from now, we should do another one on Polaroid. <laughs> yes. At episode 3,428. It's interesting where they are at right now. They're back on top. They're making money. They've got a lot of buzz about them. Now is the time to innovate right. within their core equity. Yes. It's like we always talk about that. You always want to do it from a position of strength yeah. rather than weakness. And now is the time for Polaroid. And I wouldn't be surprised if this impossible dream team or the impossible project like they were called originally, if they mandated where their focus should be, if you look at their websites, you don't see any of the other products that the corporation initially was exploring. It's all about instant photography. So maybe they are pushing them to be more towards that innovation versus exploring these other ones, but they are still there. You can still yeah. see their flat screen yeah. TVs and 3D printers and everything else on their side. Yeah, you can definitely tell what they're prioritizing. Yeah. And there's a great piece in the online magazine Inside Higher Ed that talks about the importance of identifying your core motivation and what yeah. you should be prioritizing. This is exactly what we're talking right? about. Yeah. So the article says Polaroid realized they were, quote, in the imaging business, not the paper business. Just as Blockbuster was in the watching movies at home business. They were in the giving you fines business. <laughs> which actually is <laughs> very similar to this, right? Yeah. Like Blockbuster's structure with the late fees is very much like Polaroid's film consumable costs, right? Like, that you have thing, to buy the paper. It's a thing that kept them alive, but it's a thing that also took them down. Yes, exactly. When you can't innovate beyond that. So Blockbuster was in the watching movies at home business and not the DVD rental business. Yeah. They thought they were in the DVD rental business, but they weren't. They're strictly to facilitate watching movies at home. So the goal of not confusing what to do with how we do it is easy to say, and very hard to reach. Yeah. And the piece goes on to say, we should learn from Polaroid and internalize the idea that what we will be doing in the future may be the same, but how we will be doing it will be different. And that's what gives you as a brand the flexibility to adapt to change. Yeah. And I don't think that it's necessarily all bad to make hay while the sun shines, so yeah. to speak, and be very product-centric for certain companies. But 
it does leave you vulnerable to innovation. There's going to be a point where it's going to become a problem. You need to align to something that will remain relevant regardless of the culture or the technology shifts. Yes. And what is that for Polaroid? Right. Right now, I think it's a little bit unclear with how they're approaching things. Yep. So they're making this comeback, but it's like a partial comeback. It's can they sustain this comeback? The current CEO, Oscar Smolakowski, said in a recent interview, in the 70s, Polaroid changed the rules of branding with the introduction of a bold, full-panel rainbow spectrum across our product lines, inspiring a host of legendary brands to this day. As this new decade marks a new chapter in the Polaroid story, it's a moment for us to celebrate that heritage while keeping our sights set on the future. The new identity for 2020 reflects this boldly reclaiming the color spectrum as uniquely Polaroid. So that's amazing from a brand... Positioning, but not a brand action. I'm not seeing that. Yes, exactly. That's from a stylistic perspective. Absolutely. Artistically, amazing. How you truly connect with people, I'm not sure that they're where they need to be. Yeah. There's another great quote here from marketweek.com, which was an interview with their current brand director, Arslan Barkalan, and he puts it this way. In the disposable culture we live in today, Polaroid now stands for the meaning that it brings in, that you can capture and keep looking at it forever. That's how he categorized what we're talking about. That's interesting. And I think we've pretty clearly identified that you really have to figure out what the actual purpose of your company is beyond what you're doing, yeah. <laughs> like what you're actually doing to align it into something that's going to remain relevant, regardless of culture, technology, regardless of all of the things that can change in an instant. If there's one thing that 2020 has taught us is that the only constant is change and it can happen in an instant and the entire landscape can be thrown into a blender. And so if you don't have a positioning and a company goal and mission that is independent of change, you're probably going to run into trouble like Polaroid at some point. All right. That's a great place for to wrap up this week. Thanks for listening. Speak to you guys soon. You've been listening to the Marketing Rescue Podcast. This show is hosted by Nico Kutsia and Chad Childress, the co-founders of KPI Agency, a marketing rescue agency. Be sure to visit marketingrescuepodcast.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, contact the hosts, and discover fantastic bonus content.